Welcome to Gregnamana, a charming town located in one of Ireland's most picturesque settings. Nestled in a fertile valley, Gregnamana is almost entirely surrounded by hills, including Brandon Hill, the tallest summit in County Kilkenny. To the east are the striking peaks of the Blackstairs Mountains, while to the south, the fast-flowing waters of the River Barrow rush by. Greg Namana's story begins over 800 years ago with the building of Dewish Abbey. In the 13th century, William Marshall, the Anglo-Norman Lord of Leinster, granted land in this valley for the abbey's construction. William was one of the most influential figures in Irish and English history and was described by the Archbishop of Canterbury as the greatest knight that ever lived. During his lifetime, William founded many famous sites in the province of Leinster. Among them are places like Kilkenny Castle and Tintern Abbey, as well as Dewish Abbey, here in the heart of Gregnamana. The Cistercian monks of Dewish Abbey were some of the town's earliest inhabitants. In fact, the name Gregnamana, or Gragnamanoch means village of the monks in Irish. For centuries the monks lived here peacefully until the 16th century Reformation saw their abbey dissolved and their lands sold off. Though their quiet chanting is no longer to be heard, their presence is remembered through the 12 monk statues that can be found across the towns of Gregnamana and neighbouring Tinnahinch. Our journey today will take us through centuries of Gregnamana's fascinating history as we uncover some of the town's most enduring stories. We will also learn about some of the remarkable characters who once called Gregnamana home. They include the high and mighty, like the members of the powerful Butler family, the revolutionaries, like 1798 rebellion leader Captain Thomas Cheevers and the ordinary townspeople like the O'Learys who were blamed for the Great Chicago Fire. You will also have the chance to explore the hollowed nave of Ireland's largest Cistercian Abbey, to cross the mighty River Barrow and to squeeze through what might just be the narrowest alley in the world. As you move around, Please be aware that Gregnamana can be a busy place, so take care when walking between the various stops. For now, we will begin our audio guide at the town's 19th century market house. Market House Welcome to the Market House. This elegant establishment was commissioned around 1800 by Henry Wellbore Ellis Ager, 2nd Viscount Clifton. His family were great patrons of the town and left their mark in stone with the public buildings they sponsored. This market house was designed as a public space where markets and courts could be held. It also functioned as a meeting place 
And it is here that organisations like Greg Namana's Brass Band and the town's illustrious reading society gathered to practice and converse. One of the most important meetings ever held in the Market House came within 30 years of its construction. On the agenda was starting an anti-tithe campaign. The tithe was a hated religious tax which supported the Protestant Church of Ireland. Many farmers, particularly Catholic ones, bitterly resented giving up 10% of their annual produce for a religion they were not a part of. During the 1830s, they organised and protested in what became known as the Tithe War. After meetings like the one held here, farmers began to refuse to pay the tax and even threatened some of those who collected it. One notice in County Kilkenny proclaimed menacingly that if John Lane, who was employed in collecting said tithes, did not quit said parish to prepare his coffin. In Great Namana, it didn't help that the new Protestant curate was a zealous collector of the tithes, often impounding farmers' animals until they were paid. On one occasion, he even confiscated the Catholic priest's horse. But the locals were determined to see the tithe abolished. Whenever they saw the police going out to seize goods, they made an almighty racket to warn farmers to hide away their animals. Though this went on for many years, the tithe law was eventually changed in 1838. When you are ready, follow the road to the left of Market House and take the first left turn down the cul-de-sac. A blue plaque on the stone buildings to your left marks our next stop, Peg Washington's Lane. This extraordinarily narrow lane takes its name from Peg Washington, a former resident of Gregnamana. The story goes that during the 1800s, Peg, who lived near the turf market, would regularly make her way down to the River Duishk to wash clothes. One day, she saw a row of new houses springing up along the banks of the river. Worried she was going to be cut off from her water source, she decided to approach the town's chief magistrate, Sir David Birchill. Peg asked if she could keep her access to the riverbank and being in an amenable mood, Birchill agreed. Apparently, he asked Peg just how much space she needed to get to the river. Peg answered, just the width of myself. And Birchill took her literally at her word. He created an alley precisely the width of Peg Washington, which now lays claim to being the narrowest lane in the world. If you are not too claustrophobic, make your way between the stone buildings along Peg Washington's Lane. At the end, you will come to the fast-flowing river where Peg once washed her clothes. Turn right and exit the area through the gap in the wall. After this, take a left 
and follow the road to our next stop, Gregnamana Bridge. If you feel uncomfortable walking along this water path, retrace your steps to our first stop. With the market house to your left, turn right and follow the road to the town's main bridge. Gregnamana Bridge. You are now standing beside Ireland's second longest river, the Barrow. Rising in the Schlieve Bloom Mountains in County Leash, this mighty waterway cuts through over 192 kilometres of Irish countryside, all the way to the great estuary of Waterford Harbour. There, it meets two other rivers, the Shore and the Nore, and together, the three sisters flow out into the Celtic Sea. A wide variety of wildlife calls the River Barrow home, from otters to salmon to vibrant yellowhammers and kingfishers. They share the waters with Greg Namana's swimmers and sailors, who are eager to take advantage of this picturesque natural amenity. Although today the river echoes to the sounds of leisure and outdoor pursuits, in the past, this was an essential highway. Goods were transported from far and wide, including some of the building materials that helped create Duishgabi. Its beautiful medieval windows were crafted from limestone that had been carried by water all the way from distant English quarries. Over the centuries, many types of vessels have toiled up and down the Barrow thoroughfare. Perhaps the most impressive were the traditional flat-bottomed boats known as claricons, which were capable of carrying up to four tonnes in weight. The steady river trade experienced a boom when the Barrow Navigation Company started work here in 1760. With the aid of government funding, a small army of labourers were given the task of constructing a canal, towpath, quays, drains and locks along the river at Gregnamana. Their back-breaking efforts greatly improved the town's accessibility before long, passenger boats were arriving, pulled by horses that spent their days plodding back and forth along the towpath. Unfortunately for Greg Namana, the mortar had hardly set on their new riverside infrastructure when an event known as the Great Flood struck the town. It came on the 2nd of October 1763, when torrential rains caused the river to burst its banks. Much of what had been built was damaged and the town's original stone bridge was swept away in the deluge. In the aftermath, a stunning new seven-arched Palladian-style bridge was created that reconnected Gregnamana with Tinna Hinch, located on the Carlo side of the river.
Just 30 years after it was built, this new bridge was itself damaged, but not by natural disaster. In 1798, war came to Gregnamana, following the eruption of a violent upheaval that has become known as the 1798 Rebellion. This popular uprising was led by the United Irishmen, a society who had been inspired by events such as the French Revolution. Their aim was to end Great Britain's control of Ireland and establish a republic. The rising was at its strongest and bloodiest in County Wexford, a mere 15 kilometres from Gregnamana. Fearing that the United Irishmen might take the town, Crown forces blew up part of the bridge to prevent a crossing. A plaque now marks the spot where the gunpowder did its work of destruction. The repaired bridge continues to connect Gregnamana in County Kilkenny with Tinnahinch in County Carlow, where our next stop is located. When you are ready, cross the bridge and keep close to the wall. There is no footpath, so please be careful of moving vehicles. Once you have crossed, turn right and follow the towpath to our next stop, Tinnahinch Castle. Standing in front of the abandoned remains of Tinnahinch Castle, you may notice that water is flowing all around you. The river Barrow rushes past on your right, while a smaller stream to your left curves around the castle, giving the false impression you are standing on an island. This illusion has been preserved in the name Tinnahinch, or Tinnahinche, which means House of the Island, or House of the River Meadow in Irish. Tinnahinch Castle is believed to have been built by James Butler in the early 17th century. During the 1640s, he fought for the Irish Confederacy in what became known as the Eleven Years' War, one of the most destructive wars in Irish history. During those years, James developed an unpleasant reputation. One of the legends of his life describes how he did away with some of his enemies. While they sat eating and drinking in his great hall, James is said to have made his way to the roof where he had built a large reservoir for storing rainwater. The story goes that the dastardly James released the water, creating a flood that rushed into the castle. Everyone in his hall was trapped and drowned. Folklore tells that since that cursed night, it has always rained on the day of the Gregnaman affair. James Butler may be long gone, but a local song still remembers him and his castle at Tinnahinch. There is a castle in Tinnahinch, where Butler fought his foes, sir. There's nothing fighting there today except the jacks and crows, sir. All day and night you'll hear them fight, because those noisy squealers don't care a straw for English law or the Greg Namana peelers. The story of how James killed his enemies may be more legend than fact, 
but there is no doubting the strength of his castle's defences. On the third floor are the remains of an opening called a machiculation, which was designed to drop stones, boiling oil and anything else painful onto approaching enemies. At the top right corner of the castle, you can see an overhanging turret known as a bartizan. This may look like a charming architectural feature today, but its purpose was to allow the castle's soldiers to fire down on anyone brave enough to attack the fortress walls. When you are finished at Tinnahinch Castle, turn around and retrace your steps back across Craignamanna's Bridge. Take a right after the bridge and follow the quayside until you reach the mural wall. The Fever Hospital You are now standing at the site of the old Fever Hospital, a building that witnessed much misery and sadness. It was founded in 1847 in what were the remains of a malt house. For three years, four nurses and two wardmaids laboured here as they fought an uphill battle to cater to the medical needs of the town. The Fever Hospital operated during some of the hardest times in Irish history. Infectious diseases like cholera and typhus were deadly killers flourishing in overcrowded and unsanitary conditions. Worse came in 1845, when the potato blight sparked the Great Irish Famine, a calamity that ended around one million Irish lives. Greg Namana's Fever Hospital opened during the worst year of that disaster, in Black 47. Unfortunately, its services were soon overwhelmed and in November 1850, it had to close its doors. By the time the famine was all over, Ireland was a different place. In 1841, just four years before the famine began, Greg Namana's population was 2,893. By 1851, a year before the famine ended, it stood at 1,818. More than 1,000 people were gone. Death was not the only cause. Many families decided their only choice was to leave the country and take the emigrant boat to far-off lands. One Greg Namana family who left were the O'Leary's, they settled in the United States, making their home among the large Irish community in Chicago. In 1871, they became infamous. That year, a great fire broke out in the city, burning for two days. By the time it was over, much of Chicago had been destroyed and more than 90,000 people were homeless. The O'Learys were unjustly blamed for causing it. A story quickly circulated that Mrs O'Leary's cow had started the blaze, having knocked over a lamp. The stigma followed the family for the rest of their lives. When you are ready, turn left 
and follow Barrow Lane to the T-junction. Look across the road to see our next stop, the Widow Cottages. The Widow's Cottages These four elegant Tudor Revival-style cottages were built in the mid-19th century by the Clifton family. The Ager family, or the Cliftons to use their aristocratic title, were renowned in Craignamana for being decent landlords. They had a reputation for generosity, liberal thinking and religious tolerance most of the time. The Agers had arrived in Ireland with Oliver Cromwell's army in the 17th century. But their connection to Greg Namana dates to 1703, when James Ager bought a large amount of the town, including Duishk Abbey. Instead of keeping the abbey for himself, James leased it to the parish for a term of 999 years, but never actually collected the rent. James's descendants stayed in County Kilkenny and made their home in nearby Gorn. Their contributions to the town included the building of Gregnamana's market house, which we visited earlier in the tour. They commissioned the cottages you see before you to provide accommodation for the town's deserving widows. Despite being over 150 years old, the cottages retain their original architectural features. If you look above the windows, you will be able to spot long bars protruding from the wall. These are known as hood moulds and were designed to keep rainwater away from the window panes. Another beautiful feature of these cottages are their ogee-headed doorways. This is the name given to this type of S-shaped arch, which had been particularly popular in the 14th century, especially in church architecture. When you are ready, turn left and make your way to our next stop, Duishgabi. Welcome to Duishgabi, the largest Cistercian church in Ireland. Though it is most commonly known as Duishk, in Latin, it is called Vallis Sancti Salvatoris, or the Valley of the Holy Redeemer. The Abbey was founded in the early 1200s by William Marshall, the Lord of Leinster. It took over 20 years of toil to build. The first community of Cistercians to live here were monks who came from Wiltshire in England. Of the many abbots who presided over Duishk, one of the best remembered was Charles Kavanagh. He was abbot in the early 1500s and was said to be a wealthy and learned man. As well as gifting the abbey expensive vestments and a silver cross, he was responsible for the creation of the Annals of Duishk, or the Ancient Book of Greg, which was set to paper in the abbey's scriptorium. Three centuries of Cistercian life at the Abbey came to a crashing halt in 1536, when the Abbey was dissolved during the Reformation. Abbot Kavanagh was given a pension of £10 per year, though this turned out to be a costly payoff 
as he lived to the grand old age of 100. Local folklore tells that some of the monks tried to remain in the abbey after the dissolution. The story goes that they were hiding in a small vault under the dormitory when they were discovered by Queen Elizabeth's soldiers. They were ordered to remove their sacred vestments, but the monks refused, saying it would be a denial of their faith. This inevitably sealed their fate, and twelve of them were coldly murdered. The area where the incident occurred came to be known locally as the Black Bout. After the dissolution, Duishk Abbey and its lands were granted to James Butler, the 9th Earl of Ormond. The Butlers held the property for 160 years, during which time Piers Fitzthomas Butler reputedly turned the nave into a private residence. When the Jacobite Butlers fell out of favour with England's new Dutch King William of Orange, the Abbey was confiscated. It was later sold to James Ager. Although a Protestant, he believed the church had been built by Catholics for Catholic purposes and consequently should be restored to its rightful owners and so returned Duishkabi to the parish. In 1813, the people of Gregnamana began restoring this magnificent abbey to its former glory. Walking around this bright and atmospheric church today, it's hard to imagine its appearance when they began their efforts. One contemporary account gives us an impression of its condition. It is occupied by a stable. Jackdaws build in the library. The refectory is used as a corn store. The hoot of the owl may be heard in the dormitory. Artificial manure is piled in the ancient kitchen and the Royal Irish Constabulary practice goose-step in the cloister. Unfortunately, not all of the Abbey's features survived to be restored. The Abbey's 36-metre-high octagonal crossing tower had collapsed in 1774, destroying parts of the chancel vaulting which was said to be one of the finest in the kingdom. During the restoration in the 1970s, archaeologists arrived at the abbey. Their job was to carefully excavate the floor, which was raised by 1.5 metres during earlier restoration. While excavating, they revealed some of the Abbey's beautiful original 13th century floor tiles, where Duishk's earliest monks had walked. You can see these for yourself at the entrance to the church, along with the fantastic model of Duishk Abbey in its heyday. The tiles are not the only medieval remnants. The baptistry contains what is widely regarded as one of the finest medieval effigy tombs in Ireland. It dates to the 1200s and depicts a knight holding a sword. Though it was carved in Ireland, the style of armour is of a type that was highly fashionable in England. 
Elsewhere in the baptistry, you can find an alabaster font and a stunningly carved 13th century processual doorway. Together, they give an impression of the status and importance attached to the Abbey during the Middle Ages. When you're finished exploring the many fine architectural features of the Abbey, make your way to the graveyard at the back of the church and follow the path to the two high crosses. Duishk Abbey Graveyard In the quiet graveyard behind Duishk Abbey, you will find two high crosses tucked away. Known as the Baliogan and Akhaltorn High Crosses, these incredible objects date to the 8th or 9th centuries. Over 1,100 years old, they predate the Abbey by at least four centuries. High crosses can be found throughout Ireland and they are usually associated with major ecclesiastical sites. They were carved by master stonemasons who manipulated the stone to create wonderful interlaced designs and recreate scenes from the Bible. On the Baliogan cross, which can be seen to your left, the weathered carvings depict Adam and Eve, Isaac, the sacrificial child of Abraham, and King David and his soothing harp. The older Akailton cross on the right is decorated with an interlaced design and bears a now faint depiction of the crucifixion. There are many theories as to why high crosses were created. They may well have been brightly painted and some believe they were used to teach illiterate parishioners about the Bible. Others think that they were a highly visual way of marking a religious boundary or sponsored by leading members of society to display their wealth and religious devotion. Whatever their original purpose, they are now a potent symbol of early Irish art, Christianity and of Ireland itself. Near the two high crosses, but separated by a millennia in time, you will find the Cheevers Memorial. This stone is dedicated to Captain Thomas Cheevers, one of the leaders of the United Irishmen during the 1798 Rebellion. Thomas fought at and survived the famous Battle of New Ross, but was killed later in the Rising. His body was retrieved and brought to Duishgabi for burial in his family's vault. When you are ready, exit the church grounds and make your way to Lower Main Street. You will see the antiquarian book market across the road. Follow the little laneway to the right until you notice a blue plaque which marks the assembly rooms. In the 1700s, Greg Namana's assembly rooms were the place to be seen. The rooms were run by the town's leading citizens who organised plays and dances during the week, while religious services were held here on Sundays. The assembly room events were particularly popular with the town's upper classes. The rooms came alive with wealthy heirs and heiresses, who travelled from far and wide to enjoy the entertainments.
On one such night in 1779, a great scandal occurred here that shook County Kilkenny. When two wealthy teenage heiresses called Anne and Catherine Kennedy attended an event at the assembly rooms, their presence was marked by fortune hunters. Within hours of returning to their apartments, the girls were seized by a group of men carrying pistols, swords and cutlasses. It turned out that the orchestrators of the kidnapping were two local men, Garrett Byrne and James Strang. Both Garrett and James were from respectable families, but they had no money. After fleeing with their captives, they forced the Kennedy sisters to marry them, hoping by doing so to secure their vast fortunes. To avoid prosecution, they boarded a boat bound for Bordeaux with their new wives. But the authorities were tipped off and Anne and Catherine were rescued before they left the country. Now, the hunt was on. Garrett and James managed to escape on another ship and fled to Wales, where they went into hiding. But their hopes of avoiding detection across the Irish Sea failed and they were soon captured. At their trial in Kilkenny, the two men were sentenced to hang. Many members of the public thought the sentence too harsh and sought clemency for them. Surprisingly, both locals and members of the jury petitioned for a stay of execution. the public's cries for mercy fell on deaf ears. On the 2nd of December, 1780, Garrett Byrne and James Strang were led out onto the scaffold. There they stood, surrounded by 300 soldiers for five hours. When it became clear that no last-minute pardon would arrive, the executioner carried out their sentence. This public hanging is believed to be the last that ever took place for the crime of abduction on the island of Ireland. When you are ready, walk back along the alley and take a right. Follow the main street and take the next right up to High Street. Follow the road up to the right where you will find the town's monastic mills, now home to Cushendale Woollen Mills. Monastic Mills As you approach the site of the old monastic mills, you will hear the restless waters of the mill race. The race, which was channelled by the monks in the 1200s, cascades down the hill to your right, where it rejoins the River Duishk. This dark river gives Gregnamana's Duishk Abbey its name, which is derived from the Irish Dov Ishka, meaning black water. The Cistercian monks of Duishkabi made full use of this river, harnessing the power of the mill race for their mills. This fast-flowing water helped the monks working in the corn mill and tuck mill, where wool from their farms was sorted. That wool was then brought downstream by the river Barrow, where it could make its passage to Waterford Harbour and then across Europe to Italy. 
If you would like to see where the mill race meets the river, you can make your way down the steps to the water's edge. Please be careful as this area can be quite damp and mucky. At the bottom, there is a good view of the remains of a medieval clapper bridge, which forms part of the pathway connecting the abbey to the monastic mills. This small footbridge is made from a series of vertical pillars topped by large stone lintels known as clappers. It is possible that this clapper bridge may be the very one the monks used as they went about their daily chores all those centuries ago. After the dissolution of the monasteries in the 16th century, Duishk Abbey's mills were given to the Butler family. From then on, they became known as the Manor Mills. Today, Cushendale Woolen Mills occupies the mill site, with the Cushion family maintaining the local tradition of wool manufacturing through six generations and across three centuries. Their locally sourced Irish wool provided blankets for the army during World War II and created the yarn that was used in the carpets of Oris Anuktharoin, the Irish president's official residence. Today, the mills are one of only two remaining in Ireland that collect local Irish fleece to card, spin and weave into textiles. Walk beyond the mill and turn right down Well Lane to enjoy the clear, meandering waters of the mill race as it makes its journey into the mill and experience a nice panoramic view of the town. When you have finished exploring, turn around and retrace your steps back to the bottom of High Street. Stop beside the statue of the monk opposite Duishk Abbey to hear the next track. Modern Gregnamana. You have now walked around the historic centre of Gregnamana. On your journey through the past, you have heard stories of the monks who gave this beautiful town its name and have heard tell of the dreaded owner of Tinahinch Castle. Now it is time to look at the modern town of Gregnamana, a bustling place with a great sense of community. The townspeople can often be found enjoying the locality's natural amenities or partaking in local events and societies. One of them is the Tidy Towns Committee, who volunteer their time to help make Gregnamana a fantastic place to live. The fruits of their efforts are all around and include the granite statue next to you. This is one of the 12 statues that were erected to mark the 800th anniversary of the founding of Duish Gabi. The stone figures form a trail around Greg Namana and Tina Hinch and represent the Wilshire abbot and monks who first established the Cistercian community here in the early 1200s. Another of Greg Namana's great local institutions is the town's brass band. For over 260 years, generations of townspeople have gathered together to play music in the band hall and at the Abbey's Christmas concert. The town band is now considered to be one of the oldest brass bands anywhere in Britain and Ireland and is still going strong. 
Throughout the year, the community welcomes thousands of visitors to their annual festivals. One of the most notable is the regatta, which first got going all the way back in 1886. This yearly event is held on the Barrow every August. Spectators throng the banks to watch local and visiting competitors battle it out in diving competitions, swimming and boat races. Every September, the town hosts its annual Town of Books Festival. This popular weekend event transforms Gregnamana into an open-air bookshop. Independent booksellers show off their wares. Authors give live readings and there are literary workshops for all ages. It is a fantastic community event with live music, tasty food and a great atmosphere. Besides its enthusiastic community and its fantastic events, the modern town of Gregnamana is also known for its outdoor pursuits. Nestled on the banks of the River Barrow and surrounded by prominent hills and stunning natural scenery, Gregnamana is the perfect place for hikers and hillwalkers. The Solaire Woodwalk is a great way to spend the day, as is the looped 19-kilometre hike up Brandon Hill where you can stand on Kilkenny's highest point. At the state-of-the-art Barrow Valley Activity Hub, visitors can take part in adventure races or try their hand at canoeing and kayaking. The old towpaths, built with such endeavour in the 18th century, now offer ideal walking and cycling routes. For those who prefer a quieter time, many visitors to the town come to enjoy the serenity offered by the Barrow's rich fishing waters. When you are ready, take a right and follow the main street to our first stop, the Market House. Conclusion You have now reached the end of our tour of the beautiful town of Gregnamana. We hope you have enjoyed uncovering the town's rich heritage a journey that has taken us from its 13th century foundation through to modern times. If you would like to discover more, we highly recommend that you follow the Greg Namana Heritage Trail. Created by the local historical society, this informative route will guide you around 27 sites, including St. Peter's Gothic Church and General Cloney's House. To find out more about this trail, you can pick up a free brochure at the Gregnamana Library, Cushendale Woollen Mills or Waterside Guesthouse. As you heard at our previous stop, Gregnamana has many fantastic hiking trails and looped walks just waiting to be explored. To learn more about these trails or to rent a kayak, visit the Barrow Valley Activity Hub which is just a five-minute walk from where you stand. If you would rather take it easy before leaving the town, why not enjoy some good food and drink in one of the many cosy cafes and traditional pubs found in Gregnamana? One of the most notable, M. Doyle's, has kept up the tradition of being a pub, a grocery and hardware store 
a combination that was once common in rural Ireland. In the countryside beyond Gregnamana, you can find the tranquil village of St Mullins. There, you will discover an Anglo-Norman motte, important ecclesiastical remains, and the final resting place of some of the kings of Leinster. Further west, you can find the elegant Woodstock House and Gardens, or take in the magnificent collection of medieval sculptures at Gerpoint Abbey. Whatever you choose to do, we hope to see you again at one of Greg Namana's many festival days. In particular, the regatta in August and the Town of Books Fair in September, which simply should not be missed. But for now, we say Slán Gafol from all of us at Greg Namana. We hope you have enjoyed this audio guide. It was written and produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Kilkenny County Council and in association with the Greg Namana Historical Society. We would also like to acknowledge Monsignor Sean Swain's historic work in recording the fantastic history of Greg Namana, which inspired many of the stories heard in the guide today. The audio guide was written by Tara Clark and edited by Damien Shields. Narration was by Paula Rouse and the guide was produced in Bluebird Studios, County Dublin with sound engineer Declan Lonergan and producer Tara Clark. If you would like to hear similar audio guides from other heritage sites around Ireland, please visit abartaheritage.ie.